good morning, Southbridge. You can go ahead and have a seat. For those of you who are still coming in, make your way, grab a, a bulletin on your way in, grab one of those little gadgets. We've got tools and toys for you this morning, so we're going to have a little fun with some of those things, but grab a seat. We're going to do a little different morning today. I'll tell you about that in just a little bit. But if you're a guest with us today, I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for coming. You've come on a unique Sunday, and if you want to come during a, a different type of Sunday, then come, come back next week. We're beginning a brand new series. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, if you can look at your worship program, you'll see in there as a guest a little card we call a connection card. If you'd take that out for just a moment right now, that'd be wonderful. And we gave you a pen on your way. And if you'd start filling that out, it's the only thing we're going to ask you to do today. When you leave, you can drop it in the offering box on your way out, or you can take it to the first-time guest kiosk. If you take it to the first-time guest kiosk out there, it's still dry outside the doors underneath the awning, um, and turn it in out there, we're going to give you a gift. But even if you just drop it in the offering boxes, we're going to make a donation to a ministry called Women at Risk International that rescues people out of human trafficking. So if you'd take a moment and fill it out, that'd be great. And for those of you who are regular attenders, you may look in the worship program and see some things that are happening. We're going to have this Thursday, the last meeting we'll ever have at our current offices. It'll be Celebrate Recovery, our 12-step uh, program, the Christ Center 12-step program that we do. And our very own Michelle McCann, who's on our staff as a church, is going to be sharing her story. So even if you don't regularly go, it'd be a great time for you to go check that out. Pastor Jad's going to be leading worship there. So you may want to check that out this Thursday night. And then, Lord willing, next week I'll be announcing to you where our new offices are at. <laughs> That's a prayer request as well. So we're working on the paperwork and the details of those things, and so you can pray for that. But, Lord willing, we're going to be in a spot that's going to give us even more opportunities to do midweek stuff. And so that'll be exciting for us. Also in your program, you'll see we passed the million-dollar mark in our building campaign, which is exciting. And there's some of the numbers that I told you that would be in there this week are in there. And the bulletin's quite a bit thicker today. If you didn't get one, you're going to need one. And so if you didn't get one, if you would just raise your hand right now, and one of the ushers will come by and make sure you get one, or if you need an ink pen this morning, we've got a couple people up here in the front. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and we're going to get right into the lesson. The lesson's going to be a little different today. We're not going to be in one passage of Scripture like we typically are. We're going to have a lot of Scripture, and I'll tell you what we're doing in just a moment. We'll go ahead and raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for us, but if you would bring them some pens and worship programs, those who have their hands up, just keep it up until somebody brings one to you. And I'm going to pray. Father God, I pray as we open up um, your word for a lesson today, that you'd equip our body uh, for long-term impact in our city. It'll make a difference beyond just this morning's meeting, but it'll make a difference that uh, changes, changes the city over the years to come. And uh, God, I pray you'd open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've still got some people with their hands up. We'll do that. to talk to you about this. Uh, I've been home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And, um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, 
I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about you know honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. If you don't know who Penn is, he's an outspoken atheist. He's made famous by being a comedian with another guy named Teller and a magician. And now he's on CNN as a political analyst periodically, but he's an atheist. That's what makes those words so powerful to me is that even he believes that if we're followers of Jesus Christ and we think we have the answer to eternal life, that we should be telling people. Now, if you've been with us over the last 19 months, we've been going through the book of Acts together. And if you were here last week, you know that we ended in a unique way because the book of Acts didn't end. Acts chapter 28 ends up with they were boldly and unhindered preaching the gospel. And there was no ending. There was no trial. There was no Caesar. There was none of that stuff. And we went through the whole book of Acts. It's all based on Acts 1-8, that we'd be as witnesses. And we ended. And for the first time in seven years of preaching at our church, there was no ending to my message. And so technically, we're still going. But remember, I walked away, and uh, some of you looked at me like I was an alien. Uh, some of you were waiting for uh, the musicians to come up and do a song. Maybe you were hoping for another prayer. But the reason why we did that is because you are the end of the story. I'm the end of the story. The, the book of Acts, Luke is still saying it's being written by you and by me as we take the gospel out. 
And I was meeting with our staff. We were talking about how we should end the series. We talked about some different creative ideas of things that we might do in a service. We talked about today that I might come up and give just like a five or ten minute overview of the whole book and how it's outlined based on Acts 1-8 and then send us out to go do the book of Acts. And we do service projects, fill backpacks, bless people in our community, do things along those lines. We've done that type of thing before. We're going to do that today. And uh, we talked about how we could have uh, prayer experiences in different rooms in the theater, and we could create it that way because prayer was such a theme through the book of Acts, and we decided not to do that. We talked about one way we could be witnesses. You could record yourself on your phone, or we could have iPads and cameras and things set up, and we could do, if you've seen I Am Second, where people share their stories, in like a minute to three-minute version, you share your story, and then you go put it on your own Facebook account or different places to be a witness to people. And we decided we weren't going to do that. What we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure you were equipped to be a witness, because we know that we sent you out last week and said, go do it. And some people are not able to do it. And so what we're going to do today is one of the staff members uh, suggested that I teach some of the information that I'll teach in our foundations class. We do a class every fall. We'll be kicking it off again. We call it an encounter group. But it's a classroom type setting where we teach people how to pray, how to study their Bible, how to share their faith. And oftentimes I, share, I do the class on how to share your faith. And so some of the information you're going to get today comes from our series in Acts. Some of it comes from that class. I'm going to give you a lot of information today. and We're going to go fast. Do you think I normally go fast? We're going to go fast. I'm just getting started, okay? You need your worship program. If you don't normally take notes, you're going to probably want that. If you're an A-type personality, be listening because the fill-in-the-blanks will come, okay? And we're going to hit them. But before we do that, I want to ask you some questions. And so you received a little gadget on your way in that is going to help you answer those questions. And uh, some of the questions I've asked you before as a church, but we like to get some hard data on them, like this first one. Kind of a test question for us, but also we would like to get some real information. Not just who can yell the loudest, but what is your favorite local sports team? Is it NC State? Duke is unfortunately on there. ECU, Pirates, UNC, or I hate your local teams. And I'll be interested to see how this compares to the first service. And so, number one, two, three, four, five, go ahead and hit your school there, or you hate all these schools, go ahead and we'll see the results are... Whoa, we've got some haters in the second service, don't we? And the heels are not, it's kind of a golf clap for the heels, right? Golf clap. Mm -hmm. All right, now let's get something that will actually impact today's lesson, all right? The first question I want to ask you that's a serious question is, uh, do you know at least one person that you'd like to become a Christian and that you pray for regularly? So not just do you know someone that's not a Christian, but do you know someone and you pray for them regularly? Just a yes or no, so one and two. On your keypad, I'll give you a second there. And the survey says about 66% of us are praying for someone to come to Christ, and 34% either don't know someone or are at least are not praying for them. Have you ever shared the God of the 66% who answered that one then? Um, have you ever shared the God? We know that the, some of those people would say no. Have you ever personally shared the gospel with this person that you're praying for? Of the 66% of you that said yes, have, are you, have you ever? personally share the gospel with that person yes or no and the answers are these are anonymous so you know too about 50 50 but a little bit in the minority um, next question and this is for everyone now it's an all play have you personally placed your faith in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for your salvation? And I'm not asking you, are you a Christian for a reason? Because a lot of people say, well, you know, I celebrate Christmas or whatever thing. It's because Have you placed your faith not in your works, not in being a good person, not in going to church, not because you're here today, not because you memorized some Bible verses or had some experience, but you've shifted all of your trust from whatever it was in to what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead? 
Have you placed your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for your salvation? Yes or no? And the answers are 96.4. Very close to the first service. I think it was 94.6 or something like that. Um, next question. And again, like I said, these are anonymous, but it helps us shepherd you as a, as a church too. What is your greatest spiritual struggle? Maybe it's you have doubt and difficult questions about God or for God. Maybe it's the spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible regularly, praying, fasting. Perhaps you feel in isolation, loneliness from God or from other people. Maybe it's sin in your life you know you need to deal with, and that's the struggle, and you're trapped in the sin or other. Maybe it's something else that we wouldn't have thought to list on here. And the answers are... Spiritual disciplines is high. Others, others on there too. Okay. And then, what is it that stops us from sharing the gospel? It's about 50-50 of us, even of those who are praying for someone to come to Christ, haven't done it yet. What is it that stops us? I had one person tell me after one of the messages when we were going through uh, the book of Acts, and there were some bold messages for the uh, disciples, the apostles, as they were witnessing getting persecuted and all kinds of things. And he came up to me after the service and said, I really plan on sharing the gospel with my coworkers. And he said to me then, and this is what's so telling, someday, and then he said to me, Scott, why isn't it today? Why don't I do it today? And what is it for you? When you, when you don't, some of you, you share the gospel oftentimes, but what is it that stops you when you don't share the gospel? And so we've given some answers. When I've taught evangelism before, fear is oftentimes um, high. So we'll switch the question here to the next question. I'll come back to that one here in a moment. All right, that's good to know. Next one, fear is oftentimes a high one. Um, fear can be, I'm afraid of what will happen, I'm afraid of how they'll respond, lots of different fear things you could say there. Um, what is it that stops you from sharing the gospel? Some people will say, I don't know enough about the gospel or about the Bible. Um, it never comes up. It just doesn't come up in conversation. It's not urgent. Real candid one, I don't care. I'm not a Christian, so if you checked that you weren't a Christian earlier, then that obviously would apply to you, and I expect you to share the gospel. And then other, there might be another reason that you have. So what is it that stops you from sharing the gospel and our answers are, fear is the highest one, don't know enough, it never comes up, and 12% other, okay? And I think that we will hit um, each one of those things in this lesson. We're going to have one more question for you here. I would share the gospel more if I had, and this is going to help us be on this lesson, but more as a church. I would share the gospel more if I had more knowledge of the Bible, a storyline to follow, more courage, more accountability, or something else, unfortunately, is not a write-in. But uh, Which one of those would be most beneficial to you? And the answers are? More courage is the high one. More knowledge of the Bible on there, too. Thank you very much for answering those questions honestly and candidly. And Lord willing, those top three that you emphasized there, the, the fear, don't know enough, and I think it was never comes up. We'll pull those back up a little bit later. Um, but those are going to impact how we teach today. But let's jump right into it. Like I said, we're going to fly. So Acts 1.8 is the first verse you see in your worship program. And we're asking the question, what is a witness? We don't want to throw around Christian words and not know what we're talking about. And so when we talk about witnessing, what is it to be a witness? Acts 1.8 reads like this, but you will receive power. Divine power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Notice this is you will be. The word witness there is a noun, not a verb. A verb shows action. A noun, it's who you are. 
You are a witness. We're talking about an identity issue here. So we're not just telling you an assignment of something you should do. This isn't something that's only for extroverts. Evangelism is not a gift in the Bible. It's a command in the Bible. And what God's commanding us to do is to flow out of who we are, who he's made us. The person who is a witness is anyone who's come into contact with Jesus Christ and had a life-changing experience where they've trusted him for their salvation. We see all kinds of different stories of it in the Bible. From the woman at the well, John chapter 4, a woman who's got a story. To the Apostle Paul, as for legalistic righteousness, he's as righteous as you can imagine. To the apostles in between who spend three years with Jesus before it finally clicks. And some people go to church for a long time before it actually clicks for them. And think about the different stories. They all become witnesses. So if you've got the woman in John chapter 4, I'll paraphrase, make it real short. She's got a story. She's had several different husbands. The guy she's living with now, she's shacking up with. They're not married. She comes into contact with Jesus. Jesus confronts her sin. And then Jesus says to her, I'm the savior of the world. Then she runs off. And what does she talk about? She talks about, come meet the man who told me everything I ever did in my life. She's witnessing. Then you get the apostle Paul, who's persecuting the church, who's zeal against the church, who knows the Bible really well. He comes to Christ. And then what happens to him? He starts telling people, the Jews first, then the Gentiles from the scriptures, how Jesus is the one that was promised in the scriptures. He's a Bible scholar. He's witnessing in his way from his world. Then you got the disciples, utterly transformed guys, fishermen, normal people, regular folks, Peter, who denied Jesus before a little girl in the high priest's courtyard, and then in the book of Acts, stands before the supreme court of their day, the Sanhedrin, is being threatened with his life, and he says this, Acts chapter 4, verse 20, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. What happened was the death and resurrection of Christ, now Peter's a changed man. And because he's been changed, he now isn't doing witnessing. He is a witness. He's been transformed. It's a noun, not a verb. I can't emphasize that enough. It's who you are. 96% of you that said you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You are a witness. So then naturally it flows out of who you are, what you do. If you lie, it's because you are a liar. If you sin, it's because you are a sinner. We all sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not that, oh, I did a bad thing. Now I'm a sinner. No, you were a sinner. That's why you do bad things. You are a witness, therefore we should do witnessing. And so what is it to actually do witnessing? First John chapter 1 tells this, That which is from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, this is the Apostle John from the Gospel, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This is what we talk about, the things we've experienced. Verse 2, the life appeared, Jesus We've seen it and testified to it, and we've proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Witnessing is you talk about what you know, which means this. For those of you who said you don't know enough about the gospel, you need more Bible knowledge, God's not commanding you to talk about what you don't know. He's telling you to talk about what you do know. So your job isn't to know every fact of evolution and creation and disprove evolution by teaching that there's a creator. That's not your job. That's not what it is to be a witness. It's like the woman at the well. Come see the man who changed my life. I've got to talk about what we've seen, what we've heard. Paul, he does open the scriptures. It's good to know those things. But if you don't know them, tell the person you're talking to, I don't know. There's people that know that answer. I'm not one of them. I can find the answer for you. But here's what I know, how Jesus changed my life. That's what you tell. That's what it is to be a witness. You talk about what you do know, so there should be incredible freedom in that. You're not responsible for what you don't know. You need to, if you don't know, if maybe the end time stuff is fuzzy for you, and so your coworker in the cubicle next to you is, what's going on in Iraq? Is Jesus coming back tomorrow? I don't know, but I know he changed my life. Let me tell you about that. That's what it is to be a witness. Is it, it's not bad to know about the end times. It's not bad to know about creation. Don't hear me saying the wrong thing. But what you're responsible to know is how Jesus changed you. 
And so if you've been a Christian for five seconds, you can tell. What does the Bible say about this telling? Well, it's so important. It's given to us as a command at the end of every gospel. Matthew, probably the most popular of them, oftentimes called the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, after Jesus raises from the dead, he appears to his disciples, and then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is going to be an important statement. Therefore, go. That's a participle, an I-N-G word, if you remember that from grammar school. Some people argue that you could translate this. Therefore, as you are going... As you are driving in your minivan, as you are going to the coffee shop, as you are going to GSK, to IBM, to Leesville High School, to Duke, to wherever it is you go, make disciples. Not just when you go on mission trips, then, not just when we have Southbridge serve, just as you're living your life, as you're going participle. Make disciples of all nations. And what a great place the triangle is to make a disciple of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you until I come back. Mark says it like this, very simply. He said to them, Jesus, go into all the world and preach the good news. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel means, good news. To all creation. Luke says it like this, same guy who wrote the book of Acts, Acts 1-8. But in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, he says this. He told them, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. This is written in the Old Testament. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Acts 1-8, right? And you are witnesses of these things, my disciples, my followers. John, if I had to have a favorite, it's probably my favorite one. It's so short and sweet. John chapter 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me. Time out. How did the Father send Jesus? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I'm sending you to seek and save that which is lost. You're on a search and rescue mission. Find the lost people. Give them the good news. Give them the gospel. Witness to them. As the Father has sent me on a search and rescue mission, I am sending you. John MacArthur says it like this, probably the most controversial quote I've ever read to us as a church, at least from the responses I've gotten in the past. Jesus' supreme mission on earth was to seek and save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. That is therefore also the supreme mission of Christ's church. The work of the church is an extension of the work of her Lord. As thou didst send me into the world, Jesus said to his Father, I have also sent them into the world. John chapter 17, verse 18. If God's primary purpose, the hypothetical, if God's primary purpose for the saved were fellowship, hanging out with each other, caring for each other, he would take believers immediately to heaven. Where spiritual fellowship is perfect, unhindered by sin, disharmony, or loneliness. If his primary purpose were learning his word, he would also take believers immediately to heaven where his word is perfectly known and understood. And if God's primary purpose for the saved were to give him praise, he would again take believers immediately to heaven where praise is perfect and unending. Now listen, none of those things are bad. But they're going to be a whole lot better when we get to heaven. We're all for fellowships. Why we have groups, why we have small groups, is why we want you to connect with one another and events that we have and different things we take place. The believers connect with each other. That should happen. But for what end? We want you to learn the Bible. We're doing it right now. We're teaching the Bible. Can you imagine when Jesus is the one teaching the Bible? We have praise every week. Can you imagine what praise is going to be like with millions of other believers and angels in heaven? If that was the primary purpose, what MacArthur's saying is, then you would, when I was in elementary school, I had friends used to make fun of me and call me Scotty. I don't know if you ever saw Star Trek. Beam me up, Scotty. If God's primary purpose for the church were any of those things, then at the moment when you bowed your knee before Jesus Christ and called upon him to be Lord, you would go to heaven. 
MacArthur finishes. He says, There is only one reason the Lord allows his church to remain on earth to seek and save the lost, just as Christ's only reason for coming to earth was to seek and save the lost. As the Father has sent me, he declared, I also send you. John 20, verse 21. We've already read that. Therefore, a believer who's not committed to winning the lost for Jesus Christ should reexamine his relationship to the Lord and certainly his divine reason for existence. Here's what I'm saying. Here's a witness. It's who you are. It's why you're here. It's not only who you are and your identity, you will be, now my witnesses, but it's who you are and what you do, because not as, because it's an assignment, not, it's just for extroverts, not for people with a special gifting. It's the reason why you're still here, 94, 6% of you that claim that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's your divine reason for being here on earth. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says it this way. How can they call on the one whom they not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says it this way. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. If he's ruling and he's reigning, always be ready, prepared to give an answer. To everyone asked to give the reason for the hope that you have. Your hope is in Jesus Christ for the hope that you have. And here's a part we oftentimes miss. But do this with gentleness and respect. Here's what it all boils down to. We are God's plan to reach the nations with the saving message of Jesus Christ. Your plan A, there is no plan B. And think about what God could have done. Just think, use your creative facilities for a moment. What could God have done to get the gospel out to people? And I thought about it this week. He could have had everybody have a dream on the same day. On August 1st, we could all have a dream about the cross of Christ, about needing to trust Christ as Savior. And then when we wake up, we decide, am I following Jesus? Am I following money? Am I following my own desires? Am I following Buddha, Muhammad? And in that moment, we decide. He could do it that way. He could have a huge movie screen in the, in the clouds one day. It's rainy outside today. Brightens up. Big cloud in the sky. And he plays the Jesus film. Or he plays the passion of the Christ. And in like the day of Pentecost, everybody hears it in their own language all around the world. He could do that. He could have it very personal to where he, in the flesh, appears to each one of us on our 18th birthday and then tells us the gospel. And then we decide at that moment, face to face with Jesus. But he doesn't do any of that. He could have done a bazillion other options too, but he chose you. We are God's plan to reach the nations with the saving message of Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel. We're the jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power, this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So what is the gospel? We talk about the gospel. That's another buzzword. I don't want it to just be missed. Like witnessing, you are a witness. It's not just something you do. What is the gospel? Because we can get confused about the gospel. And it's a hot word in Christendom right now. For those of you who don't keep up with this, if you're writing a book, you want to sell a book, put the word gospel in the title. You write a blog, you want people to click on your blog, put the word gospel in the title. And what ends up happening, some of those books and some of those blogs are really good. But what can happen is that the average church attender starts hearing gospel service, gospel gatherings, gospel, that everything that's Christian starts to become the gospel. We've diluted what the gospel is. And so someone says on Facebook some good news and you write, praise the Lord. And you think you just shared the gospel. Somebody sneezes in public. You say, God bless you. <laughs> you think you just shared the gospel. That's not the gospel. Let me tell you what the gospel is. The Bible defines it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, brothers, this is Paul speaking, I want to remind you of the gospel. The word just simply means good news. But he's talking about the Christian gospel. 
I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. So everything, all of your weight is on the gospel. Not your good works plus the gospel, not anything plus, it's just the gospel. This is what you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you were saved, rescued, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. So the gospel is what saves you. You were saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from God's wrath. You're saved from the power of sin and darkness. You're saved from hell. The saved means you're literally rescued. You're taken out of. How did you get saved from that? How did you get rescued? Well, it's the gospel that's written right here. Christ died. When he died on the cross, he was taking on God's wrath. He was taking on the power of sin. He was taking upon hell. And then he rose from the dead. That means he defeated all that, which is why he can offer you the gift. All you have to do is take it. He earned it. The gift of eternal life. So if you want to share the gospel, the next time somebody sneezes, instead of saying, God bless you, you can say, did you know that you're a sinner that you need to be saved? And the way that you're saved is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That might not be the most tactful way to share the gospel, but that's the gospel. So Charles Spurgeon says this about the gospel. Never lose heart in the power of the gospel. Do not believe that there exists any man or woman, he's talking about mankind, much less any race of men for whom the gospel is not fitted. It meets all of our needs. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, as we've seen through the book of Acts. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's Christ's righteousness, not our own. That is by faith. So we receive that righteousness when we place our faith in Jesus Christ from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Spurgeon, again, also says this about the gospel. If the Lord's bearing our sin for us is not the good news, not the gospel. I have no gospel to preach. Here's the reality. We talk about good news. That's what gospel means, good news. If you don't think we talk about good news, go look at all your friends, what they posted on Facebook last week. They have a baby, it's on there, I promise. Anybody get engaged? They talk about it. Promotion, maybe not on Facebook, but they'll probably tell you about it. Buy a new house, buy a new car, any good news, we naturally talk about it. What about the Savior of our souls? We talk about what we treasure. Before we talk about why we don't share the gospel, let me talk about why we should. There's some fill-in-the-blanks in your worship program. There are multiple of them. So get geared up, make sure your pen writes. Number one reason, we're commanded to do it. There are several verses there. I've actually shared more verses than this already of commands that we've been given, but we're commanded to share the gospel. That should be enough. But God is so gracious, he gives us more reasons. Not only are we commanded to share the gospel, it is why we are here. It's our divine reason for existence. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. Then we continue the mission. Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Talk about what I did. Witnesses, witnessing, number three, is where the Great Commission and the Great Commandment intersect. We talked about the Great Commission. Go, make disciples. The Great Commandment is love God. We talk about what we love. Babies, cars, houses, whatever it is, our team. You go see a great movie, all that stuff. We talk about what we love. The beautiful thing that's supposed to take place in witnessing is this. You fall in love with God. You naturally talk about Him. And so you fulfill the Great Commission that you're fulfilling the Great Commandment. It's an intersection of the two. That's a beautiful love thing, actually. 
Number four reason. The gospel transforms lives. Romans 1.16 is the power of God unto salvation. Number five. The gospel is our only hope. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says that without God we are without hope. 4% of you or 6% of you that said you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Well you'd be like, well my life's not that bad. It's not that hard. You have no hope eternally. You have no real reason for existing here on this earth. You are without hope and without God. John chapter 14, verse 6, the most exclusive statement that's ever been said by anyone in the universe is said by Jesus Christ himself. I am the way, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not you being good, not some other cult, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, pick the thing. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, no matter how sincere, comes to the Father except for through me. It's our only hope. Number six, no one else will tell the world. I already read Romans ten fourteen. How will they hear unless we preach? And how will anyone preach unless they're sent? And the Father sent us just as he sent his Son. Number seven, we talk about what is treasured. Acts chapter 4, verse 20 is in here multiple times in your notes. And if you go online, we're going to put the notes for this whole thing. There's a lot more verses um, online. Acts chapter 4, verse 20 is repeated because it's such an amazing verse. That Peter and John, who were willing to deny Christ in the Gospels, were turned their back on him, or scattered and run from him. John stayed with him. But Peter, um, deny him before a little girl, then stands before the Sanhedrin and says, we have to talk about this. Why? Because now they've experienced the love of Christ. We talk about what is treasured. C.S. Lewis says it like this, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, sending them for treasure, whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? Think about it. Did you see the game? Did you watch that movie? Did you see the episode of? Did you meet my new? We talk about what is treasured. A baby, a marriage, an engagement, some party. What about the savior of our souls? We have been given a unique power, number eight, a unique power. That's interesting. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, you wait in the city until this power comes on you. Why? So you can be my witnesses. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power. Don't go out and do this in your own strength. You're going to be receiving divine power for this. Why do we receive divine power? So as believers, we can walk on water? Nope. So we can heal diseases and cast out demons? Nope. So we can jump over buildings in a single bound? No. But we've got God's power, divine power, the very power that raised Jesus from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, is a work in us, Ephesians chapter 3, According to his powers that work within us, for what reason? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be his witnesses. And everybody who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ has become a witness. You receive that power. These are extra verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you have Christ, you have the Spirit. That Spirit is then given to you so that you have power to be a witness. You've given a divine power for it. So then the question becomes, why don't we share the gospel? A national survey by Lifeway Research reported the following things to be true of evangelical Christians. 80% believe they are personally responsible to share their faith. That sounds good because it's the majority, right? That's awful. That means 20% of Christians don't even know their divine reason for existing. Or they've somehow rationalized that it doesn't apply to them because maybe they're introverted or maybe they don't have the gift, which is not a gift. Evangelism is not a gift. Okay, I can't say that enough times in this series. Evangelism is not a gift. It's a command. But 20% don't even know they're supposed to be doing this. So hopefully 100% of our audience will know that you're supposed to be doing this. Then it says this, though. We are walking contradictions. 39% actually have shared the gospel with someone in the last six months. So less than 40% of those who think they're doing this thing 
Not good. 48% have not invited anyone to church, much less share the gospel. I haven't even invited someone to church in the last six months, which can be a platform to share the gospel with someone. And then, and then your pastor or preacher will share the gospel with them, but it opens the door for you to have a conversation with them. You have the relationship. 20% rarely or never pray for someone who are not professing Christians. That's sad. And I know there's a chunk of folks in our church, about around 40%, if I remember the stat correctly, that are not praying for at least one lost person. Now, obviously, if you're not a Christian, we're not expecting you to do that. You're the lost person we need to be praying for. Pray for yourself. Pray if God's real, that he'll reveal himself to you. But those of you who are believers, it doesn't take any boldness. It doesn't take any courage to pray for someone. It just takes care. You go alone in a closet. You pray for them. How much do you have to hate someone if you think, if you really believe the gospel? You think they're going to hell. To not at least pray for them? So we say at our church, what we call 10X, we want everybody to have at least one. Think about how many people you come into contact with in 365 days. We just want you to have one that you're praying for that will come to Christ. Just one. Doesn't make you a good Christian. In fact, you should probably have like 10, but that doesn't make you a good Christian either. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, nothing you can do to make God love you less. We're not talking about that kind of thing. This is just why we're here. So what does it mean? There's a lot of people not sharing. What does it mean that we don't share the gospel? Real simple answer. Hell. Hell is real. Hell is awful. And real people go there every day. There are books that have been written recently that sometimes get sold as Christian books that talk about how hell is not real. There's a big problem with those books. They contradict the book. The Bible. Which is authoritative in the life of a Christian. And so I'm not really concerned with what some heretic has to say about hell because he's leading people astray. What does the Bible say about hell? I'll read you a few verses. There'll be more in the notes online. Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 through 50. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's eternal torment, eternal torture. Mark chapter 9, verses 47 and 48. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. So it's a real place? Yeah, let me describe it. Verse 48, where their worm does not, does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's eternal torment. We'll jump to Revelation chapter 20 at the end of the Bible. If anyone's name is not found in the book of life, so that's who goes there. I've come that you may have life, you may have it abundantly. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to give them life. Jesus died, John 3, 16, so that they could have eternal life. Anyone who hasn't placed their faith in Jesus Christ, name's not in the book of life. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. It means hell. Hell is real. David Platt says this in his book, Radical. After estimating the world's population at about 7 billion, it says, according to the most liberal estimates, approximately one-third of the world is Christian. The most liberal estimates. These estimates include all who identify themselves as Christian, whether religiously, socially, or politically. I kind of vote like a Christian. I celebrate Christmas. <laughs> you think about what people are thinking as they answer this. Likely not all of them are actually followers of Christ. That is an understatement, Mr. Platt. But even if we assume they are, that still leaves 4.5 billion people who, if the gospel is true at this moment are separated from God in their sin, and assuming nothing changes, will spend eternity in hell. Again, 4.5 billion people. Every day, some of them die. Hell is real. Hell is awful. And real people go there. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because of the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. How much do you have to hate someone? Penn is an atheist, says it. To not tell them. So why don't we tell? Let's look at our stats again. Our stats that we had from earlier in the service. And some people say, 
on there that they don't know enough. I remember that being one of the stats. I don't know enough. 21% of our folks said that. I don't know enough about the gospel. Let me remind you what we said at the very beginning. I think we've already addressed this one. You don't talk about what you don't know. Talk about what you do know. If Jesus changed your life, so if you've been a Christian for five seconds, you know enough. Here's what happened to me. And maybe for some of you that at that stage, it is, come meet somebody else that can tell. And you listen to them. That's how I learned how to share the gospel. You know, I came to Christ, was going to a class that taught this kind of information. So that's for the 4% of you who haven't trusted Christ yet. Some of you, you're not equipped to do it. You need to hang out with somebody who is. And when you have somebody who's ready to hear, bring them to that person. Let that person share the gospel. But you listen. How do they say this? What do they say? And what they usually say is their story. Some people said, what were some of the other reasons on there? It never comes up was a reason that was, given, was on there. Let me put this on you then. Say this, bring it up. When we talk about what we value, bring it up. But let me give you a tool on how to do it. Ask questions. You don't have to be, you know, the guy with the billboard, roller skating, downtown Raleigh, bringing it up, okay? But you have friends. You have natural relationships you come into contact with. Ask them questions. People like to talk about themselves, whether they're introverted or extroverted. They like to talk about themselves. Ask them about their story. Ask them about their background. Here's one for us living in the South. And I know some people will watch online. You might not be from the South. This one won't work for you, but it'll work for us. Where do you go to church? Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether they go to church. They have an answer for that question because they went somewhere once. Or they grew up going somewhere, or they have some kind of, and they moved from, and they were whatever, different religion. And it starts a spiritual conversation. Now you've got it started. Other questions you can ask, I just wrote down a few. You can probably come up with better ones than me. Have you ever thought about life after death? Have you ever thought about eternal things? Have you ever thought about what happens after you die? You say it the way that you naturally talk, but let me tell you the answer to that. Everyone's answer is yes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God's purpose, eternity in our hearts. Even Penn thinks about eternity. The atheist thinks about eternity. How about this one? What do you think happens when you die? That can go anywhere. Let me give you a heads up on that one. Some people will say nothing, and they'll say, I think nothing happens when you die. It's just over. It's just done. That's the materialist. They, they just believe in the material world. And then you can say, well, can I tell you what I believe? Can I tell you what the Bible says? And usually if you listen to them, they'll let you talk. It's just kind of a mutual respect thing. But you can get some crazy answers too. One time I was up here uh, about to go to a movie with some of my friends. And I was hanging out and talking to one of the managers of the theater. I said, what do you think happens when you die? And he knew I was a pastor at this church. He said, you can't handle my answer. <laughs> I got time. Go ahead. You know, I was there early. He started telling me about aliens and sci-fi kind of meets kind of afterlife-y type things. And I'd never heard an answer like this apart from I met a guy one time in Dallas, Texas. who was into shamanism. He, was, he thought you had to do mushrooms and acid and stuff to experience God. And so the answer was kind of like that. But then when he's done talking about it, you know what I say? Can I tell you what I believe? And can I tell you what the Bible says? And it's not just something I make up, like hoping that that's true and it's kind of a mix of some movies I saw or whatever the thing is. There's a book that I believe is authoritative and if you don't believe it's authoritative, we can talk about that too. But let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that we all sin, that Jesus took on those sins on the cross. That's how much he loved you and he died for you. And he's offering you life. Would you like that life? And there are a bunch of other questions that you can ask. Some people ask this question, why do you think God should let you into heaven? It's a diagnostic question. It's like a doctor saying, um, how are you feeling? Where's this feeling coming from? Why do you think God should let you into heaven? Most Americans answer that question by saying something they do. I'm better than so-and-so. I don't do these bad things. I go to church. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I had some religious experience. That's a terribly wrong answer if it's not the work of Christ as the answer and the work of Christ alone. Uh, the number one reason we had on there for why we failed to share the gospel is fear. Do you know the antidote to fear is not courage. It's love. First John chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. How did he love us? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us and this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know how much you're loved? I was talking to a young couple about their kids this week. I said, you could tell your kids every day and you wouldn't tell them enough. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more, which means there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. That's God's love for you. He loved you so much, there was nothing attractive about you. There was nothing to draw you to, to draw him to you. It wasn't your intelligence. It wasn't something you brought to the table while you were still a sinner. That's despicable to him. That requires his wrath, that he died for you because he loved you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. And when you grasp his love for you, Acts chapter 4, verse 20, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And what do we talk about? What we've seen and heard. That's what we talk about. He died for you. He loves you. He did the dying. He laid his life down. This is love. As you lay your life down, he laid his life down. All he wants us to do is talk about it. So here's some principles to keep in mind about sharing your faith. Fill in the blanks again for you A-types. Here we go. Prayer is crucial. Multiple verses there about prayer, and we're going to do some praying here in a moment. One of them, we've mentioned that, Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 20, how he talks about we have to talk about what we speak about, and that's right when they were being persecuted, when they were being threatened with their lives, when they were being told not to speak in the name of Jesus. What do they do after that? Is they run to their friends who are other believers, and they say, let's pray, let's have a prayer meeting together. And they pray for boldness, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable, divine enablement, your servants to speak your word with great boldness. This is Peter and John, and they're praying for boldness. Another verse I love is that Ephesians 6 verse, verses 19 through 20. Whenever I talk to someone one-on-one and they talk about being afraid of sharing the gospel, they're not bold enough for sharing the gospel, I always say, look at Ephesians 6. That was written by the Apostle Paul. The guy gets his head cut off for sharing the gospel. Do you know what he says? His prayer request is to the Ephesian believers, pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, I will speak boldly and fearlessly as I should. Pray that I'll be bold. In other words, it doesn't just come natural. Pray for boldness. Not only pray for boldness, pray that your eyes will be open to see people the way that Jesus sees people. I pray this for you as our church all the time. I pray this in the beginning of our church. It's based on Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 38. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Those two words are key. The words harassed and helpless paint a picture of a woman who's been raped and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. Harassed, raped and beaten, and helpless, left for dead. That's what Jesus sees when he looks out at a crowd of people who are dressed nicely, some of them, who are rich, who are religious leaders. It's not about what the outward appearance looks like. Jesus looks at the heart, and what he sees is raped, beaten, helpless. Because they're sheep without a shepherd, those who don't know the voice of the shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, all the ones who didn't know him. And then he continues to pray. Then he said to his disciples, or he gives another prayer request. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. He's talking to his disciples. He's going to send them out. They're going to be the workers. Pray that you're one of the workers. Pray that God sends other workers. Because you're not enough. I'm not enough. Southbridge isn't enough. We need every church in the triangle preaching the gospel. Every church in the triangle, if we're going to reach this place, sharing the gospel with people, not just on Sunday mornings, as they go. Not only that, ask God to use you to open fill in the blank, open the eyes of the lost people. Acts chapter 26, verse 17 through 18, when Paul's being commissioned by Jesus, Jesus' own words said, I'm going to use you to open their eyes, to open their eyes so that they can see that they're in darkness, they need light. They're blind, they need to see. They're without hope, they need hope. They're with with Satan, actually. They don't even realize it. They need to be with God. Use you as his witness, who he's made you to be naturally, that flows out of your life, to open their eyes. Also pray for your one. 
if you're one of the people that says you don't have one, I would challenge you right now to consider. Maybe you're married to somebody who's not a believer. That should be your one. Maybe you've got children who haven't trusted Christ yet. I don't know how old they are. They should be your one. God's placed them in your life for a reason. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a parent. It could be all kinds of people. But jot it down. Pray for that person. Prayer is crucial. Here's why. Because I'm not giving you a bunch of how-tos today. The reason why is because it's not a sales pitch that if you do it right, people will respond. It naturally flows out of your life because of the transformation God's done in your life. And you are responsible to do it because you are God's plan for reaching the world. And so it should come out of your life into the lives of those that you've naturally been placed in their lives. Because, number two, we are witnesses. Oh, sorry, I skipped a couple of fill in the blanks for you. The gospel is our answer. We had a problem and God solved it. You can look up those verses later. We are witnesses, though. That's the second key for you to keep in mind. We are witnesses. Noun, not a verb. It's who we are. I can't emphasize it enough. And God's placed us here now for this reason, to reach this world for Christ. That's why Jesus prays for us, John chapter 17. You'll be unified. Why unified? Because we want you to like each other. No. So the world will know that I got, God sent the Son. And I want you to care for one another, pray for one another, sharpen one another, tell the world. Why, all of that, I'm sending you just as he sent me, seek and save the lost. I want you to love me. Why? Because I loved you so much. No, I want you to love me. You can go tell the world. You talk about what you love. Tell the world. How will they know unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone preaches? Dave Lenhart, one of our elders, says this. It stuck with me and changed me. God has strategically placed us in our world to reach our world for Christ. And what he's talking about isn't just the globe world, our own little world. So, if you're a mom, the kids, you're riding around in the minivan. That's your world. If you're a spouse, that's your world, your marriage. If you go to Duke, that's your world. If you go to GSK, Leesville, that's your world. God could have had you be born 10 years earlier, 10 years later. Should have changed everything, right? could have been 100 years earlier, 100 years later. But he picked to have you here now for a reason. Acts chapter 17, where you live, you move, you have your being. It all came from him. It was all part of his divine plan. You are his plan. Last truth for you to keep in mind. God produces the results. Put an interesting verse there, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Let me read it to you and tell you why. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You didn't save yourself. It wasn't because of you. It's while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus died for you when you had nothing desirable about you. You didn't save yourself. You received salvation by means of faith. When you place your faith in what Jesus did. So Jesus did all the saving. Next part of the verse. Not by works, so you can't boast. It's his works. So here's why I put that verse there with this truth. You didn't save yourself. You can't save anyone else. Which means it's not on you to get them to convert. Which also means you can't stop them from getting saved. God just gives you the privilege to be his vessel as his witness, to be the ones, the jars of clay, that carry this treasure to these people. You are his witnesses. What am I saying? Pray, be, trust. Pray for open eyes. Pray for boldness. Pray for lost people. Be his witness. It's who he called you to be. And then naturally flowing out of that is what you will do in telling other people. And trust God for the results. How do we do it? Well, we give you a card um, in your worship program that gives you some ideas. I believe there are seven different ideas on there about how you can share the gospel. One of the easiest ways is to share your story. We give you some tips on how to do that. Um, but we gave you some different ideas on here. We've got a new series next week. We put an invite card in your hand. Do you want to invite somebody to come to the series? Then afterwards, you talk to them about what was said. Now, what people might say is, I like that illustration. I like that guitar player. I like that whatever. Get past all that stuff. How about Jesus? That's what you're trying to talk about. 
or maybe you do record yourself on a video, put it on your Facebook, telling your story. Um, you got a bunch of different ideas on here, and these are just a few. If you Google ideas on ways to share my faith, you'll get like a hundred different ideas. Some of them will resonate with you. Some will be like, that's not my style. It's not my personality. That's fine. God made you uniquely, and he put you in your world uniquely to reach your world for Christ. Which one works? But you got to do some. You got to do some of them. And what we want to do right now as a service is we're going to transition into some time of prayer. If prayer is crucial, we don't want to talk about prayer, we want to pray. And so I'm going to challenge you to pray for someone you know that's lost. Now, 4% of you said that you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll talk to you in just a moment. Some of the people might be praying for you. Who knows? I, I don't know what the dynamic was and how you came here today. But for the rest of you, hopefully you wrote down in your notes somebody that you know that's on their way to hell. Will you pray for them? Will you pray that you'd have open eyes to see them the way that Christ sees them? Will you pray for boldness with them? Will you pray for their hearts to be open? Do you pray for God to transform their lives? And maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody else that he brings into their life, but pray for them if you care for them. And so you can go ahead and do that right now. The worship team's going to come. They're going to play a little bit of music. You just bow your heads, close your eyes, and we'll spend some time in prayer. Now I want to address the, the, the some of you that said that you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, death and resurrection. And if you're a believer, you go ahead and pray. You just keep praying. Don't even worry about what I'm saying. Maybe you pray for somebody that you know that that's true of, that's in this room. But for those of you who don't have someone to pray for, let me just challenge you to consider why wouldn't you today place your faith in Jesus Christ? It's as simple as this. It's admitting that you've sinned. And the Bible says we've all sinned. We're sinners. It's who we are. We've all lied. We've all done something. Even if it's just one white lie, you've sinned. So you've fallen short of God's perfect standard, and so you need a Savior. Who's that Savior going to be? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, then you call upon him to be your Savior. It's as easy as ABC. Admit, believe, confess. Admit, believe, call on Jesus. Admit your sin, believe he did what he says he's done, and call on him to be your Savior. And shift your trust from whatever it is you're trusting in to trusting in him. And if you want to do that, I'm going to just pray a prayer. While the believers in this room are praying for lost people they know, and maybe some of them are praying for you, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you'd like to trust Jesus as your Savior, you can pray this prayer with me. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. You'll be rescued from your sin. You'll be rescued from wrath. You'll be rescued from hell. And so I'm just going to pray. ABC, admit, believe, call. And so if you would pray this with me. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. And maybe in your hearts, as you're praying this prayer right now, as I pray it out loud, you're in your hearts praying this prayer that you confess a specific sin or specific sins. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe your son Jesus died for those sins. I believe he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated sin. It's because I believe that I want to call upon your son Jesus to be my savior. And right now, you just say, I want Jesus to say in your own words, in your heart to him. And you just ask him to be your savior. And if you do that right now, I just want to ask if you would, before you leave today, take that card that I mentioned for our first time guest at the beginning of the service and check on them that today you trusted Jesus as your savior. One, it's the most important decision in your life. We want to celebrate with you. But two, as a church, we want to give you some resources. Even if you're just in from out of town, we want to give you some resources to help you grow in your faith. And maybe you're looking for a church. And if this is the one or not, we want to get you connected with a church in this town, another town, wherever. So if you check that card, it's an important decision. Please do that. And for those of you who are praying for lost people, I'll just give you another couple seconds to continue to do that.